my lunchbox, and it smells, by the way. We pickle stuff. We raise stuff. It's been in high temperature. It's not that great of a smell. Miso soup in Africa ain't that pleasant, right? Um, but for me, I would really stand up with it, and I want to share that with my Ghanaian friends. And my, I still remember, like, a lot of my friends would accept that, and it was very powerful. But I always liked shaming people that were teasing things that they're not aware of. Right? Just because you you don't know it, you don't you're not aware of it, doesn't mean that you have to try to make this thing so funny. Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Sihyung Kang, a Korean Ghanaian F&B professional born in Busan, South Korea, and raised in Ghana. Growing up as a racial minority in Africa, he was raised in a small community of Koreans and moved around schools experiencing the multicultural side of Ghana. He talks to us about growing up Korean in Ghana, misconceptions about Africa, and bringing the African hospitality with him wherever he goes. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Proudly Asian. Well, for this episode, I am bringing in someone that I've never met before. The place that he's from, I know nothing about. And the kind of story that he's going to tell us, it's the first time that I've ever heard. So without further ado, I'm going to bring him in to tell his own story. Welcome to Proudly Asian. C, how are you? Hi, guys. My name is C. I am... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I think I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing all right. I think that right. introduction just placed a lot of like pressure on me. Like this new guy, this unique guy, new story, mystery. This mystery of a of a human specimen. But uh... <laughs> now we're trying to unpack that mystery. I guess so. Where do I start? How many hours do you lot have? Actually, how many hours do you guys have? Because I can go on. Yeah, he can. He I can, can go on. <laughs> but um, now, first things first, I do have a set of questions mm. that I ask every single guest of mine on Proudly Asian, which is, let's start with the basics. Tell mm. us about your background. Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up, C? Super fair. My name is Si-hyung, Kang Si-hyung, Si-hyung Kang. Um, I'm from Korea. Uh, I'm from the city called Busan. Around the age of five years old, the whole family decided, well, actually, not the whole family. It was it was more my dad and my mom not divorcing him and the whole skit happened. And my sister and I were five and six and we ended up in this place called Ghana in West Africa, where I guess the course of our lives would change because of this direction that my dad had um, because of uh, business ventures and opportunities. So what was the path of travel? Did you just arrive in Ghana, or did you guys go through other places? I've got, like, pictures of this. Actually, I have this, but we still have, like, photo albums at home, right? And I still see pictures of myself when I was five. On that airplane, right, 
airplanes where people used to smoke the ashtrays right next to you and there i am with my sister nervous as fuck and my mother trying to keep it still right because it's a it's a plane going from korea to ghana but the the whole flight uh the travel was simple we hit from korea i think back then it was routed to the netherlands and then from there to nigeria to ghana and that takes a total of like 20 26 hours so what was really that immigrant story right because I did a bit of research. Mm. Like as of 2021, there are around 11,313 Asians currently living in Ghana. They got that last three. (laughs) (laughs) They got that last three. (laughs) And (laughs) your family, like you mentioned, you moved from Busan in South Korea to Ghana more than two decades ago. Just before the Chinese basically established their presence in Ghana, is that right? Yeah, it's true, but... um. Like hearing it that way is one thing, but actually living through those years, I only felt it around the time that I was leaving. Like you, you also have to recognize that when I was in Ghana, it was like the earlier stages of my my life, right? Um, high school was when I left. The tenth grade was when I left Ghana. So before that, you know, you just kind of like bubbled and trapped and protected in your your circle. That's what happens when you're a child, right? And mm-hmm. so, uh, my memories are, are are definitely not as accurate to the factual social, political, ha- or economic happenings of Ghana. But I can say that around the time that I was about to leave, the whole topic of, of Chinese people became bigger. Mm-hmm. The two governments were also working with each other where things were being funded, new projects were happening, developments were, were, were striving. So yeah, you'll always have different perspectives mm-hmm. perspectives about, about these new motions. So going back to your family's immigrant story, yeah. I'm sure a lot of our listeners might have the question, like for your dad or for your parents, like, why Ghana? Oh man, I get this question every single time. And every single time, I just don't know how to answer it. <laughs> like, it's so true. It's to the point where like I used to ask him that question and I used to bother him because I'm so curious that I need to know, especially why my dad ended up in Ghana. More importantly, mom... Why did you fucking sign up for this? You know, <laughs> but uh, my my dad, I think he was always. If I could just like collect all these stories that I heard from uncles and aunties, it seems like he was always out to get what he wants. He was always kind of open to challenges and new changes, and he was very adventurous and very strong-minded. That comes with its pros and cons, like. From my expression, you can see I'm kind of like expressing the cons of it because I lived with this strong figure. But to that brought us a lot of fruitful uh, memories. But yeah, he didn't have a comfortable, easy upbringing. It was very harsh. Um, You know, eight siblings. He was born when his older sister was like 26, 27, very strongly apart. Uh, grandpa, I don't, I've never seen him. My dad doesn't remember him because he passed away very earlier on. So these guys kind of like had to survive by taking care of their own. It was very bureaucratic as well. The oldest one would take care of, you know, sibling two, three, four. It kind of comes down that way, like a pyramid scale. But he grew up very, without receiving much. And, And so I think when he could grab opportunities, he was out to get whether he failed or succeeded. That I can reassure and affirm because of what I remember seeing him go through in his life 
Um, but yeah, he had this opportunity after getting out of university to work in different trading companies. Like Busan was very strongly industrial at that time. There was a lot of manufacturing. There was a lot of space to create and sell and send off somewhere. And I think he got to know a few people that were living not in the the main hubs that Koreans normally were around that time. Like, well, LA, Toronto, or some of those hit points, like different parts of Australia was as well. Um, there was a good amount of us spread apart in West Europe. But he was very interested in trying to study the markets of, of Morocco, Ivory Coast, Ghana, and Saudi Arabia. But he wanted to rely on um, trading and shipping. Long story short, only because he didn't really say as much, he started to go on these business ventures to figure out how's life like there? Is this even possible? I'm taking a risk for myself, but now I've got like three people behind me as well. And he chose Ghana because out of the rest, Ghana was the, the, the most peaceful, socio-politically. Like our orientation could still kind of have a chance there. Things were a little bit different for the other parts, the other countries that he was interested in. Wow. So... That's how your dad decided to take the whole family with him to a continent that you guys were have never been or like did not know anything about. So no, no clue. You arrived in Ghana as a five year old kid. Yeah. What were the earliest memories for you in Ghana? You know, what was the living situation like? What did you have for breakfast? You know, I'm so mm. curious about every aspect of it. Yeah. Many times I kind of like tell people if you've you've traveled to southern parts of Italy, you can get all that red <laughs> sand and those like bushes, right? That are just growing and weaving everywhere. You get a lot of like those tropical trees that you can find in places in Southeast Asia. Luckily, we're in Hong Kong, so we can we can see that here as well, right? If you go to Lam Island or Changchao, you see a little little piece or a momentum of that, and then you collect that all together and then you smack it in a small little piece of land in, in West Africa, and you put the ocean right in front of it. And the colors that I remember was red, brown, because of the harsh soils, a lot of greenery, but green is just not green. It's also invited in with red and, and yellow. Um, the sky was, I don't, I don't remember going to, oh, okay, fine. I used to live in Phuket and, and that was the only time that I could actually see that retroscape of colors in the sky as the sun goes down or comes up. That's how clean the skies were in Ghana. Nighttime was beautiful as well. As long as you just look up, it's beautiful. You look down, it gets a little bit dangerous and shabby, right? Uh, but the moon was full, the stars were bright and abundant. And you could still see little pockets of clouds because it was that the moon was that shining on us, right? Um, when it comes to the actual infrastructure, you could see the essence of leftover remarks from, from like, I don't know, way before. But majority of the time, there's going to be fences, walls, barbed wires, gates, driveways, roads that are not really well patched up. Um, so you, you're going to need some big cars. Unfortunately, Ghana used to receive a lot of secondhand cars which would lead to a lot of motor vehicle accidents. 
and you'd see a lot of things that you don't want to see or you shouldn't be seeing. Um, yeah, I went a little bit too dark with the, the the pictures of Ghana, but that's just truly how it is. Like in in Hong Kong, you hop into a car, and we're like, oh, let's go to let's go to Shengwan. In Ghana, you say like, oh, uh, I want to go to Comte Two, and then you have to Comte Two is how we say Community Two because in Ghana, in Tema, uh, the neighborhoods are divided by communities and the number of it, and from there you have to know the streets in that particular building that you know of. And then you're sitting down there and th- these guys are like hot wiring their cars because these secondhand cars, some of them just, they need to make their money, right? But they're, they're not really capable of going through or getting you there. Anyways, so that mm. was another little memory of Ghana that uh, <laughs> was very fond. Well, seven of us just like bashing into a taxi. <laughs> The driver just hot wiring and, and I was just like listening to Sean Paul, <laughs> just like going through town, <laughs> a bunch of Asian kids. <laughs> and, and when we're going through these streets, like people see us and they're just excited. I, I think that they were excited. I took it very positively, but they would, of course, rip their eyes with their fingers being like, Ching Chong Chang. It's never just Ching Chong, by the way. It's Ching Chong Chang. <laughs> that third one has to happen. And then they give you that bold karate move. And it's either we're all from China or Hong Kong because karate movies were such a big thing mm. in Ghana as well. Yeah. But what about the food that you ate growing up? What does it look like? That deserves an episode on its own. <laughs> yeah, that's oh where God. I go mad crazy in love when it comes to Ghana. I think the flavors are very bold and it's very... um. It just reflects exactly the abundant... Uh, resources that that Ghana has, right? Okay, if I could make it a little bit simple, you know, we use a lot of tomatoes, onions, chili, garlic, ginger, game meat, fish. We love tilapia or sardines out of a can. You know, we we want that pungentness and that oil, and we would basically use that to create stews, dressings. But the whole working process towards that final blessing in a, in a bowl would be very long. I remember like waking up on Sunday because I would hear the sounds of pounds. Like aunties and uncles are pounding the mullet. Um, these kind of like starchy, mochi kind of like looking doughs. Essentially just a mixture of plantain, cassava, uh, sometimes cornstarch. They'd mold that and they would like sauce it or dress it with these soups and stews and join it in with proteins and we'd all fetch a bowl of that and that's just it's it's heavy meals but look it's a long day it's a long day and it's it's you very need that energy. yeah you just yeah it's it's very spacious there it's not convenient there's no trams or <laughs> or or taxis not as much right it's also expensive and there's no such thing as bus routes the only time that you can actually use these buses, they're not even public, they're private, are these small little mini buses. Tiny little mini buses, like go-go vans that you see here. And there's a driver and there's another dude that asks, tells you the fare, depending on where you where you want to go to. You just pass that fare around. Uh, I didn't really have the blessings of, of, of enjoying that as much because I just didn't really speak that language or I was a little bit scared as well. Um, you know, when, when do I tell this guy to stop? You know, like that's why I still, even till this day, don't know how to 
take a minibus in Hong Kong because I'm just so scared to be like, uh, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, the struggle is shared by a lot of people, yeah, including yeah. myself. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> it and is. That's exactly how it's like in Ghana. Yeah. Did your family ever try to preserve a little bit of that like Korean culture by making Korean cuisine growing up as well? Um, luckily, my dad being in the shipping industry and trading industry, right? We were always abundant with Korean... Uh, Supplies. Exactly. And we also used to have a Korean mart. And the Korean community, if I remember right, was around like 500 of us. So continuing that Korean culture that my parents grew up with, there was a lot of sharing and giving. Like, all I have to do is make food for you. But no, what about auntie? Uncle, what about that community? What about those guys? You know, what about the church? So they would batch big amounts. And I still remember um, hopping onto a car. We we have cars. Very privileged. <laughs> We've got cars. <laughs> and we'd be going to, we'd be going around different communities and sending off food to, to people that we were close to. Just because, you know, we were cooking this thing. We want you to have some. Mm-hmm. I think that that was essentially what Korean culture was in the 80s as well, in small neighborhoods. Funny enough, that's how Ghanaian culture was as well. So that's interesting. And I also know that you mentioned to me, growing up, you did not just surround yourself with your Korean aunties and uncles. You also used to have lunches or meals with friends of your dad who happened to be Cantonese or Chinese as well. Like they all kind of just gather and, and, you know. Yeah, it's... If I think about it right now, it's it. There was so much more diversity in Ghana than I thought. Maybe it's because when I was there, diversity was just obvious. But reaching back there, I would see and remember different languages and cultures. And Chinese restaurants were were an amazing thing for me in Ghana. Like we dress our best to go there, or else it's like one of those places that we will. Mandatorily have to go there on a Sunday evening after all of our activities are done because Chinese restaurants also exist in different scales, right? There's the more refined ones where you smell jasmine tea and bleach. And then there's ones that smell like woks and grease and, you know. That's the good stuff. Exactly. (laughs) That black pepper sauce is cooking somewhere. And that wonton soup, not that herbaceous, this one, they released that pork fat, is already greased up in the air. Um, And... I remember being surrounded by huge round tables, four or five of them, groups of families everywhere. And my dad just going around, chatting up, getting to know people, laughing, drinking, a lot of red faces like mine right now. (laughs) (laughs) And us kids just, what did we do? We ate fucking loads of like fried rice, black bean sauce with with the... uh, shredded beef, or wonton soups. I can't get the same flavor here like I did in Ghana, by the way. And sweet and sour corn soup. There was so much variations. And then we just go outside because in Ghana, it's all complexes. Restaurants have their own parking lots and walls around them. We just go outside and play and get ourselves into trouble or get hurt because that's what kids do. At least that's what kids in my generation did. I remember you were telling me about this before the recording started and you were telling me how because now you live in Hong Kong right and you're telling me how the kind of like background noise that you hear from a traditional Chinese restaurant here in Hong Kong it's something that's so familiar to you growing up in Africa which was something 
that's so interesting to me. I was like, wow, did not expect that. It's it's the the chopsticks clanking, the ceramics also, the I mean the lazy Susans, right? Yeah, you and hear the that. Mm, yeah, and the walks or whatever ventilation or sounds that were happening in the kitchen. Because I was always till this day, I'm I'm just a little bit too curious by nature, so I always want to go into the places that I'm not supposed to and just have a little peek or smell or hear or something, right? And so you'd always see that and hear that, and you'd smell it as well. And going into Dai Pai Dongs in Hong Kong just brings me back there. And I don't really share this too much with people. I mean, because we're we're just here to have fun, relate, talk, and have food. But at the back of my mind, it's like. It's like chopsticks. That's the re- name of one of this restaurant that I used to love. Chopsticks. That's the name of the restaurant, by the way. And it it replicates a lot of that and brings back. It's like home. Yeah, the emotions are still alive. The emotions are still very alive. So. Yeah. And the other question I have about you growing up in Ghana is, of course, your experience at schools, right? Like, <laughs> because you told me that you used to be known as the white yeah. kid at school. <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious, like, how was the overall experience for you? Did you ever get bullied? Were mm. you the one bullying people? You know, I, I went through, like, nursery, primary, middle school, and a little part of high school. So I've also seen different stages of my life in there but it started off with being bullied i think it was bullied and then or you maybe got i just <laughs> and i was like you know what <laughs> fuck it guys it's my fucking turn <laughs> all right bitches <laughs> no but but actually in the beginning i don't think it was actually bullying it was just that my sister and i were just too different when you know that you're just so uniquely different physically language we don't even know how to speak tree or English tree was the language that was spoken in our city. Um, you you stand out, and I'm quite the shy kid, and so even the smallest little interest to me is like, oh, that was fucking too much, dude. <laughs> You're bullying me, right? <laughs> Did they actually like rub your skin? Yeah. Wow. They were very interested in the texture of my hair, and my skin, and I gotta say, I. Wasn't bothered by that. I think I made a lot of friends initially um, that weren't of my orientation or my background. Actually, walking to the studio when I was talking to my sister, I asked her, what is your earliest memories of me? I never asked her that in my 30 years of living or knowing her. And she was like, oh, so dude, um, you used to go out and play with your friends and leave me to do your homework. (laughs) Because the teacher wouldn't let us go until someone finishes the batch of homework that we have. And my sister is there stressed. Being responsible from such such an early age, right? Being accountable for two. And I'm just like, I need to play. Bye, bitch. (laughs) Bye. I got friends. (laughs) The pressure of being a firstborn. I feel for your sister. (laughs) Oh, up till this day, I always tell her like, we're one year apart, but to me, she's always felt like I lean on her. I, I rely on not her making the decision for me, but for her to be who she is as I present my situation and her telling me her piece about it. Mm. I rely on her a lot. And it was because she kept on building that. She never stopped building it as we grew up. She never gave up on me. She was, she used to get angry at me. And I think she's very grumpy to defend myself. May 8th, right, is Parents' Day. 
guess who told me about Parents' Day? My sister called me and told me wow. that it was Parents' Day. And I'm 30. I'm turning 31 to this year. And still, she's like, hey, dude, it's Parents' Day. Why are you calling me right now? Did you call dad? Did you call mom? Yeah. Till this day, she's like that. Yeah. Nice, nice. It's just been embedded in us. You know, like at school, now your African classmates, your Ghanaian mm. classmates will become the majority. Unlike places such as the UK or the US or the Western countries where like Africans could be minorities yeah. in all of these places, right? So at schools... Were there ever kind of like a hierarchy? Like where do the African classmates sit? Where do Asians sit? And where do like Caucasians sit? Mm. Like how do you guys work together? Ooh. Oh man, you're bringing politics into this. I'm not too <laughs> good at politics. That's a lot of politics. Um, I do know that Asians and Africans were more alike by culture, by discipline. I do know that Okay, fine. I'll be very honest. We didn't really like the North Americans. Mm. Europeans we could do okay mm. with. Okay. Um, but anyone that's very white, we just used to like... I think to a certain point, it was also a little bit envy or jealousy. Because they had something that we didn't have. Their mm. family bonds were different. Their lunches were different. Their shoes and clothes were different. Unless you had like these very wealthy or uh, Ghanaians who had... You know... Relatives in in London, mm. the UK. But for the most bit, I think that even if you were white, you could fit in if you could talk pidgin English or if you could speak a little bit of tree uh, or ga or if you could sing along with the tunes of that time. So the entry barrier is really low for them. So even there minority experience might be slightly better than those who sort of like move to the West. For example, you know, like Asian Americans, their lunches or their food used to be made fun of, right? But what yeah. you're describing mm -hmm. here is like for the white kids, even if they were eating different food, they were speaking different languages, they were looking completely different. They did not get bullied or did not get like shat on. <laughs> no, we would actually often tease our, 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 our white friends. I, I, by the way, I still love them. But uh, <laughs> we used to be like, we used to tease them, be like, oh, go to your room. You know? Go to your room. What <laughs> That's is that to, room? Go to your, because like, um, Caucasian parents wouldn't beat their children. They'll ground ah. them and send them to the room. Whereas like, when it comes to Ghanaian parents, like it, you don't get slapped, you get clapped, right? It's it's the whole surface of the, this thing called your fingers, palm, and whatever it is. You just, yeah, boom, wham. And Asian kids as well, um, I wasn't beaten that much, by the way. Sometimes to be cool, I used to be like, yeah, daddy, daddy definitely did give me a boom belt, right? <laughs> Just to fit in, right? But all in all, my parents weren't violent um, uh, physically. Uh, that's another issue, by the way. Mm. But they weren't physically violent. Um, but when it comes to food, that's a little bit sensitive. I feel like I'm going here and there and like addressing topics as I feel, but... <laughs> Uh, the food part was a little bit sensitive because Koreans pickle a lot of things. Mm. So my memory is I saw Korean friends of mine that were shaming their food that angered me. So like, you know, those seaweed packets? Mm. I had these like white friends that were teasing him. And I used to be like, that was like when I was in fifth grade or something. And my friend would join in on teasing that. And then I'd be like, no, that's not fucking cool. And I'd open up. My, my lunchbox, and it smells, by the way. We pickle stuff. We raise stuff. It's been in high temperature. It's not that great of a smell. Miso soup in Africa ain't that pleasant, right? 
Um, but for me, I would really stand up with it. And I want to share that with my Ghanaian friends. And my I still remember like a lot of my friends would accept that. And it was very powerful. But I always liked shaming people that were teasing things that they're not aware of. Right? Just because you you don't know it, you don't you're not aware of it, doesn't mean that you have to try to make this thing so funny. Mm-hmm. It's hurting people's feelings. Like uh, people worked to provide you with these kind of yeah foods, right? And I only got that because I would always see my mom wake up too early in the morning preparing things for us, right? Or sleeping too late at night because we had to be provided with the next day meal projects she helped us with she had to take care of her, 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 our father etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know that's one little bit about food that i want to say that i know is going to be very uniquely different from other Asians that had to grow up with the same kind of stress mm-hmm. don't want to put them to shame but my reaction was just different because i was just very defensive over what my mother what my mother had done for me you know? Now that our listeners know that you grew up in Ghana, yeah. I, I think some of the um, questions that they might have or mm-hmm. maybe the questions that you always get asked a lot about Ghana is like, for those who don't know much about Africa, right? Mm-hmm. The general impression would be like, hey, it must be dangerous there. Yeah. Is it true? It's super dangerous. <laughs> but it's also super dangerous. Oh, shoot. Hong Kong is very safe. We're very privileged here. <laughs> We're, LKF is actually... The most dangerous place that you can land on know, right? in, in, Where in Hong Kong. weapons are like uh, yeah. bottles. Exactly. Uh, Shit goes down there. boxes. <laughs> yeah, not really down. guns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm quite sure that um, if you've lived outside of Hong Kong, you have faced a threat that is so powerful that you want to forget about it or you want to hide. The thing about Ghana is that you can't do that. You have to face it every single night. Um, there's always that risk that you'll run into where tonight might be your last. And maybe I exaggerated it because I was a kid, but I remember the sounds that I heard at night when people are being extreme to each other. I remember the things that um, the men of the community were organizing with the authorities to place as safety protocols just in case a family gets arm robbed. And I'm not talking like uh, breaking down the doors, just pushing everyone away and just trying to find whatever they can they can find that they think that it's valuable and then run away. I'm talking about like hostage situations or like open fire inside your house. I've got friends where shotguns were just, just you know, at each other. Kitchen to living room. Um, my family had to face multiple moments of those as well not inside the house but right outside and i still remember it's it's hilarious my my parents and my sister were gathered in in their bedroom and i was still i was still asleep because i thought that it was sounds of thunderstorms because storms hit really heavy in ghana when they hit it's so harsh the sounds that you'd always wake up but i'm just so used to that that i didn't know that it was ak-47 bullets ricocheting and going through the house and going off our walls. Um, and I still remember like walking around getting, I've been mugged a few times because I wasn't too, I think I was at a point in my life where I thought that I could encounter danger and still keep up with it or protect myself or something. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was walking around and I got mugged. <laughs> but it can get very gruesome is what I'm trying to say. 
and not like Hollywood gruesome. Like, what are you actually going to do when you see a person in a form that you've never seen them and you actually have to go through being there? Maybe because, for example, like in Ghana, motorways or highways are very dangerous. There's a lot of accidents. And when when accidents happen because you don't have routes that go past or outside the main way, you just have to wait it out. You're just stuck in traffic until the whole thing clears off. And you're just sitting there seeing life as it passes away or passed away life that is decaying. I guess really violent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So motorways are very dangerous in that sense. But I also know that you told me about this story with a taxi driver. And, you know, through that story, you were telling me that not every Ghanaian is dangerous or is a bad guy, right? No. So I, I want to start that by saying that people aren't really used to seeing the livelihoods in Africa. So, of course, if you can't really attach to that, it's going to be very foreign. So you think that every single black dude that you see is very dangerous because of, I think, because of movies and music, right? I think it's because of entertainment that that had happened. But um, Ghana was the place where I felt most protected, where I felt like I belonged the most. But I was also targeted because, let's face it, there's a lot of poor people. And how are they going to manage? You know, how are they going to see through feeding their families? And you can just think about it and be like, yeah. Must be tough. They have to. They have to find a part-time job. They have to. They have this opportunity. They have no excuses. But actually, no. Certain settings for certain people is just so direly, excruciatingly painful that they're resorted with with only violence to obtain these kind of incomes through the most easiest thing. That Asian dude. He's walking. Let's get him. He probably has a phone. He probably has a wallet. Let's do it. How are we gonna pay for food tomorrow? Let's do it. Let's jump him. Yeah, so that's that's unfortunately. Just human psychology, not Africans or black men. Yeah. Would you be able to tell us that taxi driver story? Yeah. So I got. I think I got back. I forgot. I I came back to Ghana, and it's been a few years. So I lost touch of how careful I should have been because Toronto. So I just so people know, I ended up going to Toronto for high school, and I came back for a little bit, and I was I've always been mad in love with Ghana, right? And so I'm back home, right? Uh, we had. We had a beautiful day, went to the beach, played football, and I was wa- I decided to walk home because the sun was still up. If the sun was down, no, not a chance. So I'm walking. It's like probably 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. And the first thing that I realize is a huge impact on my face and I'm rolling on the ground. And then I stand up and I, I'm so dizzy. I've never felt that way. I couldn't feel the pain at that moment because the strike was so huge on my face. And then I see two dudes walking over to me. Like I see figures, right? One was bigger, one was smaller. And I try to run away as much. But it's when you hit that strongly, it's almost like you're so drunk that you don't know. Like gravity is not on. It's You're not there. And just to save my life, I think I did something with my hands where I saw one person fall on the ground. And then I kind of woke up from it all. Because I realized that I hit the wrong dude. Like, in my mind, I was just like, you should have just given everything that you own. Even if you stripped naked, you should have given everything that you own. Why did you hit him? Or what did you do? And I see this big dude come in in front of me. And he raises his t-shirt. And I see a blade coming up. 
and he just puts it to my neck. I have no idea what he was about to do, but what I do remember is the guy that I hit that was on the floor shouting uh, something. I didn't understand exactly. He stood up and I think he just wanted to go at me because probably I embarrassed him, right? Small little Asian dude dropped him on the floor. Lucky as fuck, by the way. So I got pulverized. And during beating, a taxi driver smashed in and shocked these guys where they had to run away. This, this taxi driver didn't have to do that. There was no one around me. But this taxi driver just like snatched me up, put me at the back of, back of his wheels. And he was just like, let's go chase them. Let's go chase them. Let's go chase him. I was like, no. I just kept on screaming. No, no. I just need to go home. And he calmed down. And he was just telling me, he just kept on apologizing. He was just so sorry for me. But for me, I was just so grateful. Like he, he basically saved my life. But for him, he was sorry that this had to happen to a foreigner. And of course, he probably didn't know that I was, I grew up here, so I should have known better. But yeah, he dropped me off at home, didn't even want anything. I was like, please wait, please wait. I beg you, please wait. Let's just go inside the compound. Please wait. It's like, no, 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 just just get in, get yourself in there. Just get yourself safe. And at that time, I was so rattled that I just had to crawl in, right? I tried to remember that license plate. And I think I told my dad on a recording. I still don't know why this person did it, what what the whole story is, but yeah. He even damaged his car he by did, smashing into it. Because he smashed it. Yeah. And that's, that's some repair work, you know, that's going to cost money. Yeah. He didn't want anything out of it. Wow. Why? Wow. Okay, it's it's one thing to save someone, but also like, can't you be rewarded for it? You know, you smashed your your source of income. But no, he just didn't want anything. I think that's how guilty he felt. He's just one of those unsung heroes. And that, to me, I've had so many experiences of that in different levels in Ghana. And that's why, like I always say, I felt most, uh, I felt like I belonged. Mm. People were just there for each other, you know, like. A crash happens, someone falls, whatever it is, like just there's always a crowd trying to do something for each other. No. Also, when people detect robbery, we all know what happens in Ghana. That robber, if he gets caught or she gets caught or they get caught, oh, good luck to you. Because there's not going to be a chance for, for, for forgiveness for you. Because you don't hustle people that are hustling, right? Yeah. So, mm. yeah. so, you know, after all these years growing up in different places, how does it shape? how you see your identity. Do you see yourself as Ghanaian? Do you see yourself as Korean? Interesting one. <laughs> oh man, that's a... You need GNT for that. <laughs> I actually do need a GNT for that. Because you are right, it is getting a little bit warm in this studio. <laughs> um, I get asked that a lot, right? Because people are curious about each other. We're, we're like curious about our walks of lives and like just so that we can frame our piece or understand this this person, right? And for me, I've had different layers of it. Where now, I can't really say that I am Korean or Ghanaian, but I would say that like I'm, I'm, I'm this accumulation of happenings in my own small little story. It did happen in Korean Ghana, but I, I just can't pinpoint and say that I have a way of following of a culture that places me that way. After Ghana, I ended up in Canada. After Canada, I, you know... I was back in Korea serving or working and then Thailand happened and then Switzerland happened and then Hong Kong happened. So, and at the same time, like with my personality, I always like to kind of fit in or adapt to try to learn, once again, curious by nature. Um, so 
Yeah, I want to be from Lama Island. <laughs> that's my Korean current self. That's where wanna, you're from, the nation of Lama Island. The nation of Lama Island. <laughs> Let's do something, guys. <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. You know, since your parents are from South Korea, right? Have they ever told you, like, see, we want you to go back to Korea one day, or have you ever thought about living in Korea yourself? I've thought about living in Korea. My parents never really fed that into me. They're very freeing they wanted me to be me they wanted me to oh there is one thing though my dad didn't want me to be a doctor a lawyer he didn't want to be a policeman a fireman or work for the government wow yeah he he wanted me to just be me music was something i want to indulge in but that one my parents were like please dude we gave you liberty can you be more <laughs> can you try to sustain a better living was their opinion and they wanted me to keep music as a hobby. Um, but apart from that, they were very open. They wanted me to go and explore. My old man's very adventurous. My mom's very open-minded. So they kind of fed that into me as well. And I accepted it, which is the best part. That's why there wasn't too much conflicts. And I was fine moving on from one location to the other. The problem now is that I don't know how to stick to one. And I've been here for six years. That's a new problem that I have to discuss it my own self but uh yeah when it comes to the parents no and actually my mom didn't want me really to come back to korea because the world is too big and there's too much that you can experience both the joys and the pain that a person should be able to experience while they have the energy and youth too so stop feeling sorry for yourself understand how privileged you are and use that in good momentum with good energy for good things, right? And that's how I ended up in hospitality as well. Because that's just the nature of Ghanaians and my mother and my father in a mix. Yeah. Mm. Serving others. They always have been. I know that you did spend a bit of time in South Korea serving that compulsory military service. I am so curious. Um, what a fucking story that's going to be. <laughs> so how was the experience like, you know, since you would come in as a Korean, but yeah. not really a Korean who <laughs> who was like bred in South Korea, right? Like how was the experience serving in the Korean army for you? And did people remind you that you were somewhat different? I celebrated the fact that I was different. I used uniqueness as a source of energy to survive through very dark, depressive periods of that time. Because the army is not just Korean culture, but it's a subculture within the culture. And it's a very prehistoric one that just doesn't want to change. So if you bring something too new to it, you know, it's just shocking. It's just too much. And so for me, I think I was very, I compressed my my pressures of having to serve for a long time. And I still remember even till that last moment where I went out wild for one last night, came back home in the morning, head shaved, rang the doorbell, mom comes, opens the door, shocked, screaming, being like, my, my boy, what the fuck have you done to your beautiful curly hair? <laughs> no, but um, I even then I was more like, I just had to do it. That, that was just my response. And I couldn't even allow her to hold me or hold her. 
I couldn't allow her to feel because I just wanted to run away from this horrific thing that's about to happen to me. Once uh, they ripped us out and tossed us to boot camp, that was when reality hit. And the lifestyle in, a, in the military is very different. Your language, the way you're supposed to talk, walk, feel, think, they recalibrate the whole thing. They send you through boot camp and then they dispatch you into battalions where they think through examinations you fit into. And after you're tossed into these battalions, you do the rest of your days there until you become a sergeant and you're dismissed to become part of the reserve force. Now, that's a simple little timeline. But within that, yeah, you're a bunch of boys just stuck in a, in barracks and quarters together doing drills and going through routines, eating I'm, I'm so sorry, Raka. Like, I'm so sorry, Korean Army, but you, food was shitty as fuck. <laughs> and we weren't allowed to bring stuff from outside. It was contraband, right? And so we just had to get used to each other. It's easy to get used to each other when you've gone through similar stages in life. Now, when you bring in some random-ass kid from Ghana, oh, this guy doesn't even understand how to use certain punctuations and grammatical forms in Korean. We're in a high alert red alert drill and he's dropping wrong codes and code names that creates more work and tension and, and damage for this whole operation no one's gonna like me right no one's gonna like me so there was a lot of like emotional mental bullying a little bit of physical uh physical um what is it what's the kindest word that i could use yeah they beat me up <laughs> oh. yeah uh, every now and then and I think I survived through because of a few kind people that went through an extra mile to show kindness and acceptance that, oh, okay, you grew up in, on another part of this world, but I grew up from another city from that dude. So don't worry. We'll fit in. But we'll figure each other out. So I, that's how I got through it. And I still remember all their names. I've lost touch with them. But I do know, like, for example, now that COVID is done, that I go back home. I will reach out to them. Right? There's a few names. They're they're great people. Nice. Hope they're doing great things. Nice. Yeah. And of course, after all these places, you ended up in Hong Kong. And it just seems like your whole life, you have been going through a lot of different stages of having to establish and reestablish yourself yeah. um, around different cultures and crowds, right? In Hong Kong... I can imagine it must be a unique experience on its own compared to other places that you've been to. Like right here, I would say it's not common for people to come across Asians who grew up in Africa, first mm. of all. But how was the experience for you? Like, do people have difficulty understanding that you are from Ghana? Do they even understand this sentence coming out of you? <laughs> I think people are, people, I think it gets easier to understand that I'm from Ghana. Then try to understand my character and personality because <laughs> I'm that weird. <laughs> I celebrate that, by the way. But sorry, diving into that question. Before it, I, I really want to thank you for that first part that you just mentioned. Moving around different places was excitement that was divided by joy and fear. And to have to do this all over again, quietly by yourself, is very difficult. But... Um, you don't really share that difficulty with too many people. Maybe a few people you do. You, you share those pains with and they they do their best to support you or at least listen to you and give you a proper uh, audience. Connecting that to Hong Kong, Hong Kong was a very different situation for me in comparison to the other places I lived in. 
I was I graduated from college. Uh, I had to start this thing called adult life post college. There's no manuscripts for it. There's no instructions. Wikipedia, please do something about this. Like really, we need your help. Or YouTube sensei, come on, guys, <laughs> let's equip these guys, these people with better resources or information. And also, we could do that. And also, younger people, please get your shit straight. If you're like me, you're gonna suffer more because you don't have your shit straight. Just study the place that you're gonna end up in just a little bit more than you want to. Of course, you don't want to study just a little bit more. But for me, coming into Hong Kong was a little bit more comfortable because I came here for Black Sheep. Black Sheep hired me, and I wanted to be Black Sheep. Three years I was in Black Sheep, and wow, it was it was a lot of yeah. That was that was growing up. That was like when things were tossed at me, like no more bubble, dude, no more. Like this is life, but also never was taught to kind of ask for help. So it just bubbled up into something very bad. So my first three years in Hong Kong, because of the way that I chose to perceive Hong Kong, I I, I start to create a huge grudge or resentment towards Hong Kong, because it's easier to blame Hong Kong than blame myself, right? Easier. My hours are long. You know, we work in hospitality and FMB. Black Sheep is not just FMB; it's hospitality plus FMB, so it's quite a lot. And when I got out of it, was when I started to really find myself. I know everyone says that, and I hope more people say it. Yeah, everyone, keep on saying it. Find yourself. And how do you find yourself? Get yourself out of your fucking comfort zone. Okay, do things like anything. This podcast is such a new thing to me. I've never <laughs> done things in front of a camera. Um, but do things because the way that you react to it will eventually teach you who you are, and you can actually use that as small little evidence to piece qualities and attributes about yourself, and you can grow from there. And post Black Sheep, that's been my life in the safety net of Hong Kong because Hong Kong is safe as fuck, convenient as fuck. Love the language. Luckily, I'm from Ghana. Love the smell of of all the Dai Pai Dongs, Cha Chan Tangs not as much. Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> but are you the only Asian from Africa you know in Hong Kong, or have you met anyone else like yourself? I have served guests that are very similar to my background. I have served guests that actually know people that I grew up with in Ghana. Mm. That's how transient Hong Kong is. Like Hong Kong is so transient. It's crazy. It's such a happening place. Like the heartbeat here is crazy, right? And so you get to meet a lot of people, and th these are the times where you you know that if you know the pace of the city, you you better be in accordance to it as well. Mm. But yeah, I do not actually know any Koreans or Pacific East Asians mm. that grew up in Ghana, or if I do, they left. I have seen two friends that I actually grew up from childhood in Ghana. In Hong Kong, but I was too embarrassed to say hi. One of her name is Julie Larimans. She's from Belgium. I still remember her like it was three a.m. I was walking home. She was walking. We're both pissed drunk. Okay, it's it's post Soho, so I I couldn't really say hi to her. But that was one moment, and another moment was a little bit similar of a of an occurrence. The closest thing that I have to Ghana here is Chongqing Mansion. Mm -hmm. Sister Linda and her team that operates uh, Ghana locals. Oh, Ghanaian restaurant that I think you guys should try. I think yes. you should definitely try. Yeah, we should. It's we should. very close 
to what I had growing up. And I only say close is because the ingredients used in Ghana is very different from here, right? The amount of money that we're able to put to get better ingredients was better. The time was better. Like these guys are crunching hours and hours, right? Uh, but yeah, I do recommend everyone to go to Ghana Locals because that is the closest thing that I have available to invite people to share uh, and to let them feel my world a little mm. bit of it. You're going to go there and see like these like big jacked up, big dudes, big ladies, big characters. And then you'll see how warm they are. And you're going to feel stupid because in the beginning you're like, oh no, oh, oh no. <laughs> Actually, they don't care about you, dude. Okay, They're trying to get along with their lives, you know. They're doing their thing. Um, and then you sit down and you taste the food and they come checking up on you. And, and they're just trying to have fun with you, initiate conversation. You're like, oh wow, they're just interactive human beings with warm hearts that's why they want to socialize with beings right do you remember going there for the first time like are they like looking at you what is this east asian oh. guy doing here and then what was the moment like when they finally oh reached oh you're a ghanaian <laughs> oh I, I i remember clearly because i know the tactics that i use for this right i'm a, i'm a i'm an experienced veteran when it comes to looking a certain way and being a certain way right <laughs> um I still remember I went inside and look, there was a lot of a lot of people in the entrance of Tonkin Mansion trying to meet ends meet, right? Trying to get their deals sealed. And for me, I didn't give a fuck. And also, I grew up in Ghana, so if anyone like grabs me, touches me, I don't care, it's fine. I'll just keep on whipping through, you know, like that that sponge SpongeBob like Squidward kind of a scene. It's like, okay, you can grab onto my hand. Okay, you can you can come with me then. They come. I actually start to like hold their hand. And be like, you can come with me, because <laughs> clearly you're making me feel uncomfortable. I'm gonna do the same thing. Anyways, end up in Ghana locals. They were having fun. There was like a party happening, but of course, because they're humans, they see the newest thing that comes in, whether I was white, black, or whatever it was. And I do know that I got a little bit more attention, because I didn't just pass through. I stood there, and then I saw that sign. And I went in there and I spoke to Sister Linda because I wanted to order some some Ghanaian food. I, I've been starving, right? I've not had that in so long. I was actually about to cry to the point where I called my parents. The time was aligned, the time zone. And we were on video call. They were in Tema. That's my city, the harbor city of Ghana. And they were showing me Ghana as I was ordering Ghanaian food with Ghanaian people around me in Hong Kong. And that's what allowed everyone to be like, oh... Oh, this Chinese fucker is from Ghana. <laughs> and then I was like, guys, Korean, please, Korean. Back then, they didn't know that Samsung was Korean. They'd they be like Japanese and they'd be like, so I just cleared it out to them. I got my mom. I needed her to be my hype man. So I was like, I was like, mom, show Tema to them. Show it to them. Oh, and wow. then I still remember they snatched my phone and they were just like, just you know, zeroing on the on the on the phone. If that happened to me where I didn't live in Ghana, I, I would have been paranoid. I was like, that's my fucking phone. Why are they taking that away from me? But when I was there, I was more like, it's time to order. Hold on to my phone. There's something more important to me right now. I prioritize my listing exactly. <laughs> Sister Linda, give me the fucking menu. <laughs> Actually, I don't need the menu. I know exactly what I want. And I know you'll have it because you're from Kumasi, Ghana. <laughs> yeah. I studied you a little bit. Wow. And so I had like two portions of big ass uh, food that normally I could never have finished. 
just snapped it all in. Uh, doggy bagged a little, went home, didn't sleep that night because I overate, but I was a happy child. Nice. I was a damn happy child. It sounds like such a nice moment. It was reassuring that the way that they they were so communal in their own way got me back to Ghana because that's exactly what I saw when I was growing up. Small little convenience store with this huge ass amp that shouldn't be there, blasting out huge, like not huge, loud ass music, too much bass. We like too much bass. Can I get some trouble? Can I hear some melody? But no. And then you you always have that MC uncle that's always like singing it, but actually shouting it. So that he, he, sorry, he lets everyone know that he's in control of the vibe and the music. And then everyone's surrounded there holding their warm ass bottles of beer or distilled whatever they want to drink. And there's probably going to be a barbershop around the corner and somewhere that's serving food. Like kebab. Mm. In Ghana, kebab is skewers. It's not the raps. So I know that some of your African friends actually described you as more African (laughs) than Africans. So are you proud of that? (laughs) Um, I am. I'm very proud of it, but I'm also a little bit shy about it because I've lost touch with with ground zero. You know, like I've not been back in so long, but I do know that I am very much still there whenever I talk to my sister. We don't talk like this. Our voices change. Our, our, our temperature is different. Our, our accents are different. And we're using like slang language. And that's what I'm like, I'm reassured. Ah, oh, yeah, this is... It's still in you. Yeah. Even that, ah, oh, that, that, that's not the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it's assuring. And the friend that you were mentioning, she is from the Gambia. And she also had the blessings of being able to experience different parts of the world. And we're very similarly aged as well. And so it's very satisfying. I will never say this in front of her. But in front of her, I'm just like, what do you mean? But instead, I'm like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They call me Kwame back in Ghana. (laughs) Or (laughs) Sihyung. They don't even call me C there. They use my proper Korean name or my proper Ghanaian name. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's either or or and. (laughs) (laughs) Saying hello to your friend, Lottie. (laughs) Lottie, I love you. You really feed so much great energy in me to make myself feel comfortable with myself. (laughs) Nice. Another question, I don't think I ever got the chance to ask anyone else because I've never met someone with a background like you, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I lightly touched on that in the sense of Caucasians who grew up in Africa, they are minorities. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, the narrative that the rest of the world is familiar with, Africans, they are always seen as the minority in a lot of places. In the States, you know, a couple of years ago, you would see what happened to George Floyd and it sparked the whole Black Lives Matter movement, right? As, you know, somewhat an African yourself, right? Mm. You grew up um, among a lot of Africans. How does it all make you feel? Because you grew up in a place where Africans were the majority. Yeah. But seeing how they are treated elsewhere as minorities, does that spark any emotions? I, I always see these kind of violence that are exacted onto minorities because I, I think people just don't know how to, um, the compatibility, they, they don't know how to see, we're, we're the same human beings, by the way, but just because our structures and our colors and our, our 
our backgrounds and environment are just a little bit different. We we try to actually I, not try, but maybe some people do try, but there's an alienation of some sort, right? And so that already creates space of fear, and many times how you encounter fear is by aggression, right? Because how else are you going to encounter if you're not properly mm, trained or exercised mentally, physically, emotionally? How would you respond anyways? You will do whatever you can to to just show how much you can bark, right? So I I also had that, and now it's more like you treat it with a lot of silence, but you're there to really let that person feel, hopefully, the wrong that that person is doing, the, the guilt that they should be feeling. So like. It happened to me and Lottie actually recently as well. We were walking through the pier and there was these, these groups of, um, of, of men and we were like maybe 30 meters apart. Suddenly, like I hear from afar, hey, how are you doing, Blackie? And I stopped for a little bit and Lottie just kept on walking. I was like, Lottie. And for Lottie, she was just sick and tired of immaturity anyways. She's, she's above that fucking shit, right? So she was like, let's go. For me, I was like, no, no, dude. No, that's not how I see it. So I come closer to them. By the way, there's 16 of them. I'm like 66 kg. Like, what could I do? But I just stood there just like staring at them in disgust, in pure disgust. Just like in sheer disgust, but not anger disgust. Like disappointed disgust. Like, Why? Like, the weather is fucking beautiful right now. We're going for a walk. And you wanted to impress your crowd and humor them by using this tactic of putting someone lower. By the way, she will put you to the ground. You've seen Lottie. She is like, the bone structure and muscle mass on that person? My goodness. Yeah, she is impressive. But she knew a better fight. For me, I just had to at least let this person know. The fuck is wrong with you, right? And I still remember his reaction. As soon as he saw me and our eyes locked, I don't know what it was. And I'm hoping that it's guilt. But then he couldn't look at me. He had to turn away. He had to he had to walk behind the crowd and hide. And the rest of the dudes, because they kind of sensed what was happening, some of them saw it as well. I still stood there, right? And all of them started to kind of like lean differently or, or kind of move away, mobilize away. And we just had to walk away from that. I'm still not satisfied by the way that I reacted. But at least at the end of the day, hopefully there was a lesson that was transmitted in a better way than um, what had happened to some victims in the States where violence had to be met with violence. And then that caused someone to lose their life. And that life lost would affect too many people that for maybe a few weeks people will care about and then everyone has to go on with their lives. It's painful. This this happened many times in, in Hong Kong, including during COVID. If I could just share one more example, um, you know, during COVID, we had to like be in small little groups and we had to be separated. Now, I, I live on Lama Island. For anyone that doesn't know, that's like 25 minutes by ferry down south of the main island. And we've got scheduled ferries. So you just have to kind of like wait it out. What else can we do when we're waiting it out? Drink some beers. That's what I do munch on something right or just uh just do something that's 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 fun and good for yourself and and during that time there was a lot of us of different ethnicities but i saw from afar like a few older um 
people from Hong Kong just because they were speaking Cantonese and they looked much older. They were shouting at this African couple, particularly, that were eating McDonald's. They were at a corner. They were not even close to anyone. So why do you have to start this and pick on them? Now, maybe they would have acted the same way to everyone. I don't know. But because they were from a part of town that I grew up in that was so close to me, I my 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 feet just start to go closer to them and closer and closer and closer. I scare easy, by the way, but I just my feet just kept on going closer. And I sat next to them, popped my beer, put my mask down, and I just start to drink with them. And I was just like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? And I don't know what had happened behind me because I didn't want to see them. But the loud racial slurs start to disappear. The bad N-word, the, the bad go back to where you belong, all that shit started to dissipate. And we were just sitting there. Them having their Mikadis and me, my Tali Asahi, until I got onto that ferry. And I felt, I didn't feel proud. I just felt, what the fuck? Hong Kong is a safe, inclusive place in the in, in, in the most parts of it, right? In the most parts of it. These kind of events happen to this this place and we start becoming so easily divided and it hurts, it aches just because you can't with the same human beings, but just because the color is different, you kind of start to do this whole alienation game, I think. Yeah, maybe I'm overthinking it, but that's what I felt. I really love what you did in the incident that you just told us about because while some people would say it's horrible that they were calling the couple names, but at the same time, sometimes the education level or the kind of education that they were exposed to, no one ever showed them otherwise. No one ever showed them how they should act next to people who don't look like them, right? Mm. But basically what you did by sitting down next to them, you know, sharing a beer with them was Mm. basically showing them this is how you could coexist with people who are different to you. Yeah, it's which just, we feel is very powerful. Thing. Like I think the infrastructure, the the color, the landscape is different, but we feel the same feelings and we go through the same phases as human beings. So why can't we focus on that first? And at the same time, when it comes to like acting violence, anyone can. But I have been around, especially in Ghana, where things can get really riley and rattled up. You get to meet a lot of dangerous people that know how to just not use it because they use that part of themselves to protect when in need for the people that they love in themselves. But if not, no, they're just very, you don't even expect that from them. You never thought that they have that capability, but they're very dangerous. They just really hide it very well because they're all about peace and love. Well, not all, well, humans, they're more about peace and love. And beers. <laughs> nice. And um, now it brings us to the next segment, mm. which is called Rapid Fires. Nice. Favorite part. <laughs> and in this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they got asked at some point in life. And in C's case, biased <laughs> questions he's been asked personally in terms of misconceptions people have about Africa and Africans. So, C, are you ready? <laughs> well, well <laughs> I'm, I'm never ready for this. <laughs> I'm never prepared for this. No one is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we have to... <laughs> Get cracking. Fine, fine. <laughs> Worms out. Worms out. First question. But you are so white. Not really. I actually work a lot for my tan. 
right? Actually, work a lot for it. <laughs> Actually, that's the that's the thing that I always say. It's either that or I say, uh, "What do you mean? It's so obvious that I'm from Africa. I'm so obviously from Africa, <laughs> right? Why are you laughing? It's so true. It's so true. It's so yeah. true that it's funny. Okay. <laughs> it's not that funny to me. It's just obvious. <laughs> And then the second question is, did you have cars and phones? Yeah, that's a big one. The whole like, have you watched the Flintstones? Right, <laughs> he's he's right. nodding. He's like, he's like nodding, but he's like, no, no, it happened to you. <laughs> They thought that was Africa. National Geographic is more as educational as it is. Does not always show the parts of society where life is a little bit different. And so they used to be like, um. Do you have cars, or do you have Jaguars, like the car company? Like, <laughs> do you ride elephants? Is that what you do? You, oh, snakes for security, like stuff like that. <laughs> stuff like that. Do you live in a David Attenborough's documentary? Oh, stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've. This is. I'm very new to t-shirts. <laughs> I'm very new to t-shirts and underwear. Normally, it's just straps, you know. Just straps. I saw you looking up and down. Okay, no. <laughs> it's all straps. It's all straps back there. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> the next one. Have you killed anyone? It was 2002. Like this, this guy had my sister to the neck, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. You know, I've been bullied in school all my life. All my life. And I wanted to keep that peace in me, but when he did that to my sister, I just couldn't. I took that big ass blade that all Africans own, fucking big machetes, by the way. Don't don't joke at me right now, okay? It's it's like till here, and I just went, and I just scraped, and I was done. Yeah, the only one. I've got a tattoo on that on my butt as well, because I want to remember the killing, but not in a pleasant place. So, uh, yeah. Jonathan, you're on my ass. Although you're not with us in this world. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I've never killed anyone, guys. I, 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 I'm good at killing mosquitoes and cockroaches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I can do. You know, the fact that you're from Ghana, and I had no way to tell if the story that you just told us was true or not. I don't know how to hold a machete. I I I, I hold trays. I wash glasses. I <laughs> I'm learning how to shake a Boston shaker. Okay. <laughs> I stir. <laughs> the next one is, can you chant or do some Ghana rituals? Just like it's just gonna be pure silence from here. I'm just gonna. This is the Ghana rituals for you, by the way. I'm just. That's what she says, but I'm looking at my phone <laughs> to see the notifications on my Instagram right now. That's also a Ghana retro. Because we've got Instagram and <laughs> internet, Wi-Fi, all that shit in Ghana, folks. They got phones, by the way. Uh, this was actually purchased in Ghana. My my dad <laughs> gave it to me. Okay, yeah, right there. Next up, are you guys in the human trafficking industry?、Oh. Who do you ship? Yeah, they used to crack that joke about my old man, and well, I always used to tell him like, "Where am I right now? Where did I used to be?" Yeah, answers your question. From Ghana in Hong Kong, so boom, 
he sent his own son, emissary. <laughs> Don't care how you got here. <laughs> oh, uh, I was not alive for a majority of that part. You're sedated, and you're tossed into one of those gas barrels. You know those those huge tank barrels. You know? And then someone like like cracks it open, and you're like, oh, oh, sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get some plantains? Oh, you're in Hong Kong. Oh, you, you don't have plantains. Oh, what do you have? Oh, oh, fish crackers, shrimp crackers. Oh my god. What the fuck? I was being very racist there. When <laughs> he's just like nodding, he's just like yeah, yeah, <laughs> solid. <laughs> and next one. Oh my god, they just get worse and worse. Have you slept with a black? Person. Oh, I get that all the time. Dated but not slept. TMI. <laughs> I am still a virgin. Is that still TMI? Oh my god, I can't tell if this is a joke anymore. There's no way for me to verify, guys. <laughs> I uh, I I think it's not about. Actually, DM me separately because I need to have a serious chat with you if you're actually curious about. The kind of people that I slept with, like, let's go for a beer. We'll talk. I'll give you that space. And find you at. Find me at. Actually, do I really want to share this much about myself? <laughs> oh, but I will test you. My Instagram handle is Kang C Hyung. Good luck spelling that. And um, finally, wow, I can't believe I'm asking this on Proudly Asian. Um, it's true. It happens a lot. So, are you Ghanaian down there? <laughs> the response right there. I saw you. <laughs> I need more GMT for this. <laughs> yeah. Do we have some tequila shots? <laughs> so I actually get that asked to most parts by actually friends just like bantering, right? It's actually just purely innocent. We're just being stupid idiots. But sometimes I have, in my experience, been asked about physical parts that was influenced from being in Ghana, including the. The, the reproductive system, everyone. And there's this Instagram reel that's been going around of these like comedians. I don't know who they are actually. And they invited this Blasian guy, right? He's Korean African or Korean African American. I'm sorry if I didn't get that one right. I just, I had to scroll up real fast with that one. But he also got asked the same thing. Which part of you is Korean? Which part of you is, you know? They joked at this pure Korean guy, you know, just trying to banter and humor. And this Korean guy, no, the spokesperson was like, oh, but actually you're Korean. Korean. So I've been using that joke. I've been using that joke. I'm like, I'm Korean Ghanaian. <laughs> <laughs> There's also no way for me to verify, guys. If you want to verify yourself, contact C. Instagram handle <laughs> Kang C. Hyung. <laughs> Good luck with the young part because it's a little bit uniquely spelled. <laughs> and thank you so much for doing this round of rapid bias to see. That was really difficult. I think <laughs> yeah. I'm getting red right now. And before we go, I'm actually curious. Is there a word that you can teach our listeners about from the Ghanaian language? Yeah, great question. I think the first thing that from my memories of landing into Accra, Accra is a capital city, and you get off that plane, and there's a humongous ass, I forgot what fabric, but I think it's a carpet. 
and it says aquaba and it means welcome aquaba yeah nice and that's something that i want everyone to know and also tema because tema is the best city in ghana Mm. kumasi does make better food sorry but tema hit up c on instagram and get the real picture of Tema also. At Kang Si Hyung. <laughs> there you go. And finally, before we go, see, yeah. um, what does it mean to be proudly Korean Ghanaian to you? Yeah, this one's... Uh, I struggle with uh, trying to get with this one. Mm, you know, like how people say, you got to embrace, you got to embrace. and You got to appreciate. But I think for me, when it comes to that... I had to use a different word. I had to admit, admit to many things that I was hiding away about myself that I got out of being a fold of these two identifications. There's been like millions of people that's walked through life, this whole journey with these identifications separately together, whatever it is. I hope there's more Karinganians in the future. But um, for me, it was a lot to do with not trying to run away from it, not trying to hide from it, just admitting it, but also Admitting it where you don't overpronounce it. You know, like sometimes we're too loud about things because we don't actually know how to admit and accept, for, at least from my experience. So I try to be very quietly um, in my shell doing my inner work in, in creating that inner piece of, of this identity that was formed, living in Ghana, being Korean, and being passed down so much knowledge, love, and wisdom from many human beings before that you know, are of or with you know, these two nationalities. All right. Thank you so much for <laughs> joining you. us on Proudly thank Agency. You. It was fun. Thank you. I had I had a lot of fun, but thank you, Marks and Spencers, for Gin and Tonics. Sponsor us if you want to. I think I'm a little bit glowy right now, but guys, let's embrace our glowy side, MS with us. Oh yeah. With the shade of glowiness. MS forever. That was that was really good. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. Just, just, just.